Father, again, we thank you for, as the psalmist said, that you are our shepherd, as we, are, as we have placed our faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that in such cases we do not want. We're not in need. And yet, Lord, there are times that the trinkets of this world capture our attention. And Lord, we just ask that we would refocus this morning on who you are in your glories. And as we come before your table, that our hearts would be prepared, that they would be pure, that we would partake in a manner that's worthy of you. Father, we do not want to drink judgment on ourselves in partaking in a, in a manner that's uh, not displeasing to you. Prepare our hearts. Help us to see the Lord Jesus Christ as the good shepherd, to see him as the great shepherd, to see him as the chief shepherd that uh, all of our needs have been met, will be met, will continue to be met, even to the point where we see them and we're safe and secure in heaven. Lord, I ask that, uh, again, our focus and our attention would be on you, on your word, that our minds would not drift and would stay tuned to what you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Ready to get dismissed? Junior church can be dismissed. <laughs> You'd like to turn your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We looked at being a soldier last week, and that next few weeks, we're going to do a mini-series on shepherds, shepherding sheep. The reason is, is... Uh, we have our annual elders meeting coming up next Friday and Saturday. I would encourage you to be praying for us. The main topic actually is the whole area of shepherding. Uh, it's probably the hardest area that we have to deal with as uh, elders. It's just shepherding people. It's not easy. Uh, shepherding you. When I say people, that's you. <laughs> um, it's not easy because, you know, it's just the... Uh, the wide variety of uh, personalities. Some like to be shepherded. Some would rather not be bothered type of thing. And it's hard to ask, you know, and find out really where you're at and then how to pray for you. And I will say this again. It's, that's the hardest part of being an elder is the shepherding process. Uh, trying to find the balance with you, finding the balance with us, uh, knowing that we're actually doing what the Lord wants us to do. So we decided we're going to take a... I, I've decided I wanted to take just a few weeks, maybe two, possibly three, and just look at this whole area of shepherding. It, it kind of prepares my heart for the meeting, prepares the elders' hearts for the meeting. Um, and again, it will prepare you to say, okay, what are we looking for when we talk about shepherding? That's a word that may not have a, a real clear as far as what do you mean by that. So again... Uh, next couple weeks, uh, we, you know, when it comes to uh, shepherding, we know, as Hebrew says, that we're going to have to give an account someday. So we want to do it right. You know, if you look, if you asked a group of children what kind of animals would they like to be, it's interesting. You know, some of them would shout out lion or maybe a tiger. Uh, maybe they'd shout out bear or some great animal, I don't think many of them would immediately go to the idea of a sheep. Oh, I'd like to be a sheep. Um, you know, if you even look at nations of the world, their favorite animals, I don't think one of them is a sheep. The United States is what? An eagle. Man, how majestic. Although when we went up to Alaska, we found out they were just scavengers. 
you really wanted to see eagles, you went to the dump. But we don't want to go there. Um, but the point is, is they are majestic in flight. They are very majestic in flight. They're, I mean, they're a, a cool-looking bird, as it were. China has the panda. Great Britain. What is Great Britain's? Lion. You know, ferocious. I don't think there's any country that wants a sheep for the, nation, the, the, the symbol, you know. Um, although when it comes to the scriptures, uh, it was interesting that if you look at sheep uh, in scripture, I think it appears 188 times. It's, that is the, the animal in scripture that is represented over and over and over, you know, talked about as far as sheep and shepherding. And uh, I was reading a book this last uh, week and uh, probably bring up some of this but did you know that uh, some of the greatest major wars that we had out west wasn't even over land? It was, over, it was between sheep farmers, shepherds, and those that uh, were raising cows. That's where the big wars were. They call them the sheep wars. Um, <laughs> well, the point is, you know, there's two different types of grazing patterns. Sheep eat a lot lower, and therefore the, those who had cattle, the cattlemen, were very frustrated to the point of wanting to kill <laughs> um, the shepherds and the sheep. That was our, that's what our West was made up of. But when you think of a sheep, it's not necessarily always when I'm referring to sheep and shepherds a, de- a derogatory way. It's a descriptive way. It's a, it's a way of describing a certain type of behavior when, when Jesus calls us his sheep. It's interesting, in Psalms 100, it says, We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verse, uh, I think it's 34, Jesus said he had pity on the crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Because again, sheep need a shepherd. John chapter, or Mark chapter, I think it's uh, 12, it says the shepherd uh, was going to be struck down and the sheep will be scattered because without a shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. So all we really want to do, and because it's communion, I just want to kind of prepare our hearts this week just by looking at the, the nature of the sheep and the nature of a shepherd. That's just the simple task we have today. Just to kind of acclimate ourselves to the, uh, what's the nature of the sheep? And then what was the nature of a shepherd? And then next week we're going to take that and then start applying it to our church and saying, okay, what should you expect of your shepherds at this church? And how should the sheep of this church uh, respond, but let's look at the uh, the nature of the sheep. By the way, that's the fill-in sheep. Consider the nature of sheep. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, I think, hit it on the head when he said this quote: "Somehow, many Christians have the romantic notion that being called a sheep is a compliment. If, however, we had ever spent time around a flock of sheep, we would quickly realize." That is nothing romantic or complimentary about being called a sheep, end quote. See, we think of it as just these fluffy white things, you know, out on the, you know, and you see them out on the, out in the pasture. And, um, but really, when, when he calls us sheep, it's not complimentary. Um, by the way, he's not, by the way, putting us down. He's just saying there's certain characteristics of humans that are also found in sheep. Now, again, what are some of these, as I would say, not-so-positive qualities? When you look at a sheep, what do you find? Well, the first is this. Sheep are often not smart and very stubborn. That is a characteristic of sheep. Not very smart and very, very stubborn. 
Again, ask yourself, have you ever seen a group of trained sheep in a circus? No. <laughs> you know, you find dogs and tigers and seals and horses and elephants, but I don't think I've ever seen sheep. They're not that smart. You know, you'd train them today and they'd forget it by tomorrow. They're too simple-minded. By the way, and they're very stubborn. In fact, Isaiah, what did it say? All we like sheep have gone astray. We quickly go astray. His sheep, by the way, when he calls the sheep, he's talking about those who are part of the family of God quickly go astray. Did you find yourself going astray this last week? In your motivations, in your values, what you looked at, what you said, what you did. We quickly go astray. So again, sheep are not smart and very stubborn. Right there we're starting to see a characteristic. By the way, I hope none of you walk away and say, well, no, you just pushed my self-esteem to a new low. There's, there's hope. The hope is not looking at us as sheep, but looking at the shepherd. That's the hope. By the way, sheep are also dirty and wayward. That's another set of characteristics. Real sheep aren't like those clean, fluffy balls of cotton depicted on cards. I mean, if you could just go to a fair sometime, they're dirty. You know, they, they can't even clean themselves. That's one of the greatest things. That, you know, I, I grew up without a cat, but someone gave us a cat years ago, and we've had cats. We've had that one cat. I shouldn't say cats. One cat. You know, he's been there, what, almost, I think, 12, 15 years. But you know what I like about my cat? Everything is, he is, he is self-sufficient. As long as you have a little bit of food there, he takes care of himself. He doesn't, you know, and if he doesn't have food there, all he wants is to go outside and go kill something. So I like that. But, you know, sheep aren't like that. They are dirty because you got all that wool. And if, you know, if you don't continue to clean them or if you don't um, cut the wool, you know, they just get really, really dirty. They easily wander off. And they'll repeatedly do the same, you know, problem. They'll get caught in some thicket and they'll find themselves there again. In fact, Psalms 51 says this, Bones which you, ha- you have broken may rejoice. The bones which you have broken. And, and what I think he's referring to there is literally many times a shepherd, when he found a wayward sheep, would actually break the bone, one of the legs, and have to carry, and you, you know the story, but the idea is, you know, he was trying to uh, seek to teach that, that uh, sheep a lesson, you know, stay close to the shepherd. By the way, that's what chastisement means for us. Have you ever had your bones broken? Maybe not literally, but had to go through a severe trial and God severely chastened you because you kept going down the wrong path? By the way, I, I also know this, that if after that process happened, the shepherd realized this sheep was unteachable, ultimately they might even have him for dinner and just say, you know what, I can't, because he will lead other sheep astray. And I think First John talks about the sin unto death. By the way, that's why you need to take the table very serious. Some people do not take the, ta- the Lord's table, and yet he says you're going to drink judgment on yourself. But sheep are dirty and they're wayward. The third is sheep are defenseless and dependent. They have no way of protecting themselves. I don't know if my wife... Did you ever get the picture of the... Oh, it's not working. Bummer. Um, I, was, I, wanted you to, I wanted her to get a picture of a, of, of a sheep because the, the, the worst thing they can do is like nibble at you. You know, if you ever look at the front of their mouth, they, they don't have money teeth. They just in the front because all they're, you know, used for is uh, 
uh, grass. But they're very defenseless animals. They can't really kick. They can bite a little bit, from what I understand. In fact, they can't even run away from a vicious enemy. You know why? Because their temperature is about 103. That's what a normal sheep's temperature is, 102-103. And if they go too fast, too quick in the summer heat with a full coat on, they'll actually become heat exhausted. Okay? And maybe, I guess, faint or whatever. But the point is they can't even run away. They're that helpless. They quickly overheat. And if they overheat too much, then they'll die. Not only that, but they're top-heavy. You ever hear of the cast sheep? A cast? That means when the sheep, like they might get near a dip in the, in the ground and they may try to lay down, you know, and not realize the dip. And then all of a sudden this thing is like, and, and, and then you see the sheep in there, you know, they're like, <laughs> and actually if, if, if a shepherd doesn't come along, it, either the, uh, an, another animal will kill it or just the digestive juices will, I think, back up. I think it's how it happens, and it'll kill it that way. I mean, they're so defenseless. They're really, I mean, if it wasn't that we were called them, we'd say they're worthless, you know. But, um, so you're not going to be scared away by a growling sheep. You know, it just doesn't happen. Uh, I was reading this one book, The Lord is My Shepherd, by uh, Robert Morgan. He says this, What a picture of faith. It's uh, predicated by the fact that sheep are the most helpless creatures on earth. Dogs can run in packs, hunt for food, find their way when lost, and defend themselves. Cats of all sizes are stubborn, solitary creatures with minds of their own. They prowl and pounce. Horses, though capable uh, of domestication and harnessing, are, are noble in wild herds, thundering across the plains. Even cattle can roam on the wild prairie. Rabbits, birds, reptiles, fish, monkeys can be found in pet stores, but are the happiest in the wild. The forests and the jungles of the world are full of wildlife requiring no human care. These animals require no specialized care by a shepherd. But we're not like that. We're sheep. And by understanding the shepherd's role in our lives, we better comprehend our own makeup and upkeep. So the idea is, you just don't find sheep out in the wild surviving. They're very dependent on the shepherd. They need a shepherd. And then finally, sheep are easily frightened and confused. It doesn't take much to scare them. In fact, I'm going to read on with this uh, guy, because I think he's got it. He said, a sheep is the one animal that is, that is utterly clueless and helpless without a human near, uh, being nearby. A flock of sheep without a shepherd is a pathetic sight. You never hear of a sheep migrating along, uh, along in great flocks, fending for themselves or surviving without an external protection. They panic at the slightest sound. They have no sense of direction, little native intelligence, and no way to defend themselves. <laughs> Why would you ever have a sheep? No, I know, actually... I tell you who I've gotten a lot of information from at times uh, as I've talked to him periodically is Don Wilson. Well, again, you, 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 you raise him for food and stuff like that. But as far as the animal itself, uh, they can butt a little with their heads, but they're bulky, bungly, and without defensive equipment. They can't fight with their hooves or teeth. They can't run away very easily or dig holes or climb trees. They can't track down their own food. They can get lost even in their own pasture. Their wool, which becomes thick, matted, and tangled, if not regularly sheared, can weigh them down or trap them in thorns. Insects bedevil them, and they, they don't recover well from disease and injury unless treated individually. Sheep also need affection, 
and there's something about them that seems to crave human care. They are utterly dependent on a shepherd. Boy, I think, I think that's worth reading just to remind me how dependent I am on the Lord Jesus. Then he ends by saying this, they're just like us. We might think we can get along just fine without a good and gracious God. And many people deny and discredit him. But in the end, we're nothing more than like sheep without a shepherd when we distance ourselves from a loving creator. We're defenseless against the prowling lion that wants to devour us. We're lost without someone to show us the path. We'll starve without a prepared pasture. We're easily diseased and often frightened. Without someone tending us, we become ragged, unhealthy, and utterly pathetic. End quote. I read that. That's a lengthy passage. passage. But again, I want us to be reminded how dependent we really are on the Lord. Now, some of us may forget that. And we get a little bit independent, don't we? We go down the path a while and we think everything is just fine. What does the Lord do in those circumstances? He sends us a crisis. What does that do? That really doesn't tell you, that only does one thing in your life. It doesn't say that you were independent and now you're dependent on Him. It only just reveals that really all along we were dependent on Him. That crisis brings us back. Now again, there are some qualities in the sheep that I think are, are commendable. They're approachable. By the way, I think the dependent thing is the, the positive as well as the negative. We are dependent. That's why he says we're like sheep. They have a group mentality. <coughs> you rarely see them out by themselves. I mean, in fact, that's when they get into problems. But isn't that what God calls us to be part of his flock, part of his body, part of his vineyard, part of his building? In other words, we, we should stick together. They are needy, but I think that's a good thing in the sense that they know where to find uh, their need met. And they're not vicious. They're a gentle animal from what I gather. So the point is, is that I'm not trying to say, well, these are just a pathetic animal. and Why would we ever be called? No, there's a purpose because what, what a sheep is, is, is what we are like spiritually. So the point is this. Sheep need a shepherd. And thankfully, the Lord Jesus Christ wants to be our shepherd. And he's called three different things in Scripture. He's called the, the good shepherd in John 10. He's called the chief shepherd in 1 Peter. And he's called the great shepherd in Hebrews 13. He's called all those things because the scripture wants to make it very clear that that as a sheep, we go to him to have our needs met. Today, we're really only going to look at the good shepherd. So again, if you haven't turned to John chapter 10, I want you to do that. John chapter 10, the good shepherd. Consider the nature of the shepherd. That's the fill-in of the shepherd. Because we desperately need someone to take care of us. No, that's not the American way. Rugged individualism. No, that's, that's humanity. We need desperately to have someone to take care of us. And thankfully, the Lord Jesus takes care of his sheep. And you see that in verse 1. The first thing is a good shepherd knows his sheep. That's the, that's the first thing that needs to happen is a shepherd needs to know his sheep. Look at verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter, <coughs> he does, who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, 
and he calls his own sheep by name. And if you if you've ever seen how they had it back there, it, they didn't have fences. They would they would literally just build an enclosed area with rock. It'd probably be about that high, and it would be an open door, you know, just an open area. The whole thing would be rock, and then there would be an open door. Uh, that didn't have a doorway. Literally, many times the shepherd would literally just sleep right in the doorway. And the idea is you would put your flock in the, in the pen and then you would sleep right there. And that's what he's referring to. You're saying, but you know what? Some don't go through the doorway. They come up over. Why would they come up over? Because they're thieves and robbers. But he says, you know what? I'm, I, I'm the real shepherd. I'm the doorkeeper and the shepherd. Actually, he's also the door. We see that in a moment. But the idea is this, that a good shepherd knows his sheep. Uh, Unlike many countries, one guy said, first century Palestine raised sheep, uh, were raising sheep, not to primarily be killed for food, but for their wool and milk. So the point was this. It wasn't like we think of sheep today like cattle. You're just raising a flock... (coughs) And, uh, you know, then you would just slaughter them, you know, and because of the, uh, for the meat, and then, you know, get another flock. These sheep would be with the shepherd for years and years and years, okay? I think it was 12, 15 years that a sheep would, could, uh, could live. So the point is, is many times they would actually name the sheep. They had their own name. And when and the shepherd came in and, and, and spoke, when he spoke, they would... You know, because they had been around this shepherd. So this means that the shepherd and the sheep were together for years. There was a bond that had developed, a very strong bond. And that's why he says he calls his own sheep by name. Now, he calls you by name. If you're one of his, if you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he calls you by name. Which, the application, one of the applications of this is he, he knows, he knows you. He knows your personality. He knows what you struggle with. He knows what you have, are going through as far as trials and temptations. He knows all, that, all about that. You know, Isn't that neat? I just love that. You know, The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ really knows where I'm coming from. See, when I pray, He knows. Obviously, He already knows, right? But sometimes when we sin or we are struggling, we don't quickly run to our shepherd and say, Lord, I am really struggling with this issue. It's almost like we don't want to like inform him. <laughs> like we're going to give him some new information. And yet he already knows us. He knows our name. <coughs> he knows everything about us. We, this should assure us um, to be quicker to run to our shepherd for our needs to be met. So he knows us. The second thing is a good shepherd goes before and leads his sheep. That's very, verse 4, and when he brings out his sheep, what do you mean brings them out? Well, again, they were in the pen. And many times they would have a number of flocks within that, that stone, uh, you know, the stone hedges that made up the pen. There would be like maybe, I don't know, two or three flocks. But when he would get up in the morning, he would speak. And then his sheep would follow the shepherd out. And that's what he's saying here. When he brings out his sheep, he goes before them out of the pen. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. In fact, over in verse 26, if you just turn there quickly, look at what it says. But they asked him a question in verse 25, or verse 24. Uh, 
the, the, the people or the Jews were saying this, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Look at what he says in verse 26. <coughs> but, you, <clears throat> but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. In other words, you don't believe. You don't hear my voice. You don't understand who I am. You don't believe because you are not of my sheep as I have said to you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Many well, are not following the Lord because they're not His sheep. But those who are His sheep, they hear His voice. They know His voice. Look at verse 5. They do not know the voice of a stranger. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. A sheep will again hear the voice of the, the shepherd and instinctively go towards him. And sometimes, you know what it is? That's what the problem of the world is. All these voices, all these trinkets that are being thrown at true sheep, at the true believer. And sometimes our minds and our hearts get wayward and we start going down the wrong path. But then you hear his voice. Where do you hear it? It's from the word. And that's why you need to hear the word because the word says something and all of a sudden, that's the direction I need to go. I was wallowing over here in this mud pit. I was caught in this briar patch of the world. But then the Lord speaks through his word and the spirit of God convicts your heart. And I would say at that moment, I I had this happen a number of times this last week. I'm studying the word and it's like, that's it. I need to go in that direction. It might be big, it might be small for you, but the point is this, when the Lord speaks through his word, do you listen? Or are you a stubborn sheep? Doesn't make doesn't mean that you're not a, a, a true believer or not a true sheep uh, a sheep of his. But the point is, he's gonna have to. He might have to get severe with you if he's talking to you. Don't just say, you know what, I'm gonna try a different path. If he wants to get you on this path, get on that path. So, anyways, the the shepherd always went before the sheep. It's interesting. Um, I came up with this story. There's a story about a group of uh, tourists in Israel who had been informed by the Israeli uh, tour guide after observing a flock in their shepherd that shepherds always lead their flocks. I mean, that's what, you know, he made a big deal of this. I mean, um, the shepherd is always out front. And so they're, you know, they're in Israel and seeing all these flocks. And the, the listeners were like, you know, eating up every word as it were. A short time later, they drove past a flock along the road where the shepherd was walking behind them. The tourists quickly called this to their guide's attention and he stopped the bus to step out and have a word with the shepherd. He wanted to see what was going on. As he boarded the bus, he had a sheepish uh, grin on his face and announced to his eager listeners, quote, that wasn't the shepherd, that was the butcher. That is true. See, the point is, is this. If it's the true shepherd, he leads by... By leading, he leads, and we follow him. He's, he's out front. In fact, it's good. Where he goes is a good place, because look at verse 11, I am the good shepherd. By the way, this whole passage is talking about him being the good shepherd. That word good means lovely. Uh, it means that uh, excellent. In fact, it's the internal. I told you last week, talking about the soldier. By the way, what a contrast from last week. Last week we're called to be a soldier. This week we're called to be sheep. We are sheep. That's how it is. But the point is, is this word good is kalos. It means internally good. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ has the heart of a shepherd. He's not just 
externally. He doesn't just look the part. He actually has the heart of a shepherd. Now, now think about that. He has the heart of a shepherd. Don't you want to be around the person who has the heart of wanting to deal with you, wanting the very best for you? He is the excellent shepherd. That's what it means by good. He is the quintessential excellence shepherd. And yet sometimes we run from him. We don't spend time with him. We don't spend time in prayer with him and reading his word. And yet he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I mean, that's how good he is. Because he came to this earth, what? To die for our sins on the cross. So that those who would place their faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ, repent of their sin and turn to him, he would save them, he would become their shepherd, and he would, they would be the, his sheep. But, but that's why he came, so that he would give his life. We come before the table to remember all that he did for us, that we were hopeless and helpless without him. And he has come to this earth so that we might have forgiveness, we might be brought into his family, we might be given rewards someday, we are forever secure in him. Someday we'll be with him in glory. As we were singing today, I was thinking, you know, won't it be great when we're singing around the throne and you don't have to worry about money issues and health issues and relationship issues and all the issues of this world. Won't that be great? Just to be able to praise the Lord and not have to worry about everything else. Because now, so often what happens is we start, you know, we start... Uh, praising the Lord and then our minds go off to something that happened this last week or is coming up. And then now we're studying God's word and now our minds are over here somewhere, you know. Uh, I, one thing for sure in heaven, our minds will be focused on the Lord. There won't be any distractions. Finally, not only does he know his sheep and leads his sheep, he protects us. He protects his sheep. He protects us and provides for us. In fact, once you go back to verse 9, it says, I am the door. By the way, it's interesting how he started out being the shepherd. And then he became the door. Verse 7, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he, he's making a, a, a picture of, of, you know, the sheep are in the... In the um, the, um, the pen there, that he, he said, I am the door. It's, it's actually, uh, later on in, in chapter 14, he says this, I am the what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, right? If you're going to get to the Father, if you're going to have salvation, it's coming through me. It's coming through my sacrifice on the cross. But notice verse 10. It says, I have come that they might have life, and what? They might have it abundantly. I was looking up what that word abundant means. James Boyce said this about abundance. He says, contentment means satisfaction, and satisfaction means to have enough. To have enough. In your life right now, could you say that? You know what? I have enough. I'm satisfied. I'm contented. Now, you might not say that as far as financially in, the, in this world's goods, but could you say that as far as when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ? I have enough. In fact, that's what the psalmist said. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm not going to want. Because when the Lord's my shepherd, I don't have... Because these other things that are in this world, I'm not saying it's not nice to have a car and some other thing. 
But the, the way that the spiritual mind works is this. Those are just trinkets. And they're just passing by. And they're only going to be here for a short time because our life is like what? Like breath. It's like a vapor. He goes on, Boyce goes on, and he says this. Our English word abundance comes from two Latin words, abba and which means this, to rise in waves and to overflow. And he says it really is pointing back to two types of things. One is the waves of the sea. You know how the waves just keep coming? You ever sit at the seashore and you just think, man, what power? They just keep coming. You know, one goes and it recedes, and the next one comes, and it recedes, and the next one comes. He said that's really where that word, the root idea is coming from. That the Lord... When he says abundant life, it's just that he just keeps sending the, the blessings to us, almost like the waves of the sea. But he said the second is, is, is um, picturing um, a flood. When the water just keeps... Boy, haven't we had a lot of rain lately? Well, so we kind of understand the whole water thing. And when too much rain and then the water goes up in the stream and before long, if you have too much rain, what? It overflows. And that's what he's picturing in verse 10. (coughs) That I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Two ideas. One, overflowing like a flood and it just keeps coming at you like the waves. They just keeps coming. Now, unfortunately in our lives, again, the trinkets of this world and discontentment and jealousy and the flesh and all get in the way and sometimes our eyes become very dim as to the blessings of God. See, we don't see it. I mean, they're still there because God continues to bless us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But sometimes we want. We want the other stuff because our eyes get dim. That's why we need to be reminded when we come before the table. What was our greatest need? Forgiveness. What was our greatest need? We needed a relationship with God. What is our greatest need? We need to be secure forever. We need to be forgiven of our sin. We need a relationship with God. We need to be able to know that what we're doing on this earth is going to come. I mean, you start adding up. I mean, the greatest of all needs is forgiveness. But then you say all the needs. And you know what? Jesus Christ has met every one of them. And we have to have our eyes opened up periodically and say, you know what? Oh, that's right. He has met every one of our needs. He's our shepherd. I shall not want. So it's abundant. Look at verse 11. And see, it goes from the door. I am the door to verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, a hireling, <coughs> by the way, a hireling is not a, a robber. A hireling is just a hired man. That's all he's referring to. Now, he said the hireling, you know, here's the shepherd. He owns these 250 sheep and he hires another guy to help him out. The hireling, he's a good guy. It's just that he's not the shepherd. He's not the one that owns the sheep. He who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling, verse 13, because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Now, he doesn't care. (coughs) But I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. In verse 15, I even lay down my life for the sheep. You know, this this kind of convicted me. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, You know, am I... Am I really following after the footsteps of the Savior? Next week we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5 because he calls himself the chief shepherd, but he also says, listen, you're going to have other shepherds called elders. And the question is, do I have the, do I have the uh, attitude of the true shepherd or do I as a pastor, as an elder, have this 
attitude of a hireling. Am I in it for the money? I, am I in it for the praise? Am I in it for, you know, as long as people like me, I'll be an elder, but if they don't like me sometime, I'm leaving. You know, or am I in it for the ease? Don't expect me to go visit you. Don't expect me to solve your problems. Stay on the page or else get out of the church. See, that's a hireling. A true shepherd, I'm talking a true human shepherd that's following after the path of Jesus Christ says, you know what, I'm sticking with these sheep because the, the good shepherd has given, me an, uh, has given me an assignment. By the way, I'm throwing this out at you because some of you may be being called as a shepherd. So you're just sitting there, you're not a deacon or an elder. But maybe the Lord is knocking on your heart and saying, you know what, maybe that's what he wants you to do. But make sure you do it for the right reason. Not about popularity and not about prestige or power or people liking you or anything else. It's about, you know what, I, I need to be willing to do as, as the Lord Jesus, even, even to the point of laying down my life. Now again, not sacrificially for substitution, but saying, you know what, I'm as as uh, Paul said in, in Corinthians 12, I, I willingly, and I love you so much, that I'm willing to expend myself for you. And that's how a shepherd should act. Uh, Barclay said this, a real shepherd was born to his task. <coughs> he was sent out with his flock as soon as he was old enough to go. The sheep became his friends and his companions, and it became second nature to them um, uh, to, to, excuse me, to think of them before he even thought of himself. That's what a real shepherd was. Just total focus on the sheep. <coughs> but then he goes on and says this, but a hireling shepherd, you know, one who's hired, came into the job, not a calling, but as a means of making money. He was into simply and solely for the pay he could get. He had no sense of of the height and the responsibility of the task. He was just simply there as a hireling, just getting paid. And I think as I look across America many times, I think sometimes you could say that of pastors, you know. Are they just in it for the money and the prestige, or is it that they really care about the people? So the point is this. Jesus Christ is a sacrificial shepherd. In fact, you might want to fill that in. The point is this. He is sacrificial. But as we serve each other, and especially as the leadership of this church serves you, you should see a sacrificial attitude. Okay? By the way, there's a lot of other things that people get into leadership for other than money. Right? And it should always be for love, though. The love for the Lord and love for His sheep. So again, we need to be the good shepherd. As I said, Scripture also calls Christ the great shepherd and the chief shepherd, which we'll look at in a few weeks. Roman numeral three, determine though, now as we have seen the the attitude of the sheep, the nature of the sheep, the nature of the shepherd, the final thing to think about today is this, determine to follow our shepherd's leadership. Look at verse 25, Jesus in answering the question, uh, are you the Christ, tell us plainly, he says, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Now look at what he says in verse 27. Well, he says, you're not my sheep, but look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they will follow me. They will follow me. So some questions. Question one, do you hear his voice? By the way, that's in the present tense. He's continually speaking. Are we continually receiving what he's saying to us? Do you hear his voice? 
Sheep recognize their shepherd's voice because they know him. Does the Lord speak to you through his word? If you find, if you find yourself increasingly familiar with what Jesus said and eager to think about what he has said to you and obey him, then it's showing that you are one of his sheep. You are one of his obedient sheep. Are you listening to his word consistently? Or have you decided to wander off? By the way, if you wander off too far, it may start showing maybe you're not one of his sheep at all. Because his sheep know his voice, or hear his voice. Look at this, second thing. And does Christ know you? I mean, are you willing just even with this? Remember what Psalms 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Is that a comforting thought to you? You search me and you know me. As we come before here in just a couple minutes, Lord, search me and know me. I want you to know me. I want not only know who I am, but I want you to know everything. Uh, Lord, I am glad that you know my trials and my temptations because I want to be more like you, Jesus. See, Christ knows us. And then finally, are you following him? Recognizing the call to the relationship of being a sheep, we should have a heart obedience wanting to follow him. You know, again, if I am truly confident in his love for me, then what did Jesus say? If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. If you really love me. If you really, really love me, keep my commandments. That's all. That's really what this passage, I mean, you could summarize it like that. Uh, We are sheep. He's the good shepherd. We hear his voice. He shows us what to do through his word. And because I trust him and I'm confident in his leadership, I want to follow him wherever he goes. And when I find myself wanting to veer from the path, maybe not be as pure as he is, maybe not, uh, you know, I I like to hold on to some of that gossip, a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of anger towards somebody. Oh, I have a touch of envy. Lord, just give me a few of those trinkets of the world. And he's wanting to pull some of that stuff away from me, especially if it's sin. Then I start really realizing what's in my heart. Is it really to follow the shepherd? And notice what he does in the very end of this passage. This is where that very famous passage, he says, I know them and they follow me. Look at verse 28. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And then he finishes out. But the idea is this. Those who are truly his, those are the ones that have eternal life. Those who are following him. By the way, this is not works-based salvation, but I'd say it this way. If you're really one of his sheep, you're going to want to follow him, right? If you find yourself not wanting to follow him, then I I would say, you know what, you need to start asking the question, are you really one of his sheep? Because again, as we know his voice, it should be that the voice of the shepherd becomes sweeter as time goes on. I remember when I was first saved 30 plus years ago, certain of the commandments were like, ah, he wants me to do that, he wants me to be this, he wants me to give up that. It was more like the don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that. You know what I find as I've been walking with Jesus? that now it's, it's a lot more positive. It's a lot more positive. Oh, I see why he doesn't want me to do this, this, and this. Because he wants me to have the blessings of this over here, the abundant life. I think it's a mark of a mature Christian that starts realizing the things he tells us not to have is because he wants to super abundantly bless us over here on what we do have. And he wants to keep, and as Larry Burkett used to say, and his shovel is bigger than ours. He was talking financially, but I'm going to talk as far as all the blessings. 
See, we give up a little bit, and if you want to picture it in a shovel, it's this little shovel. It's like one of those survival shovels that uh, soldiers carry, you know. Over here, the shovel that God uses is kind of like the shovel that the guy has down there when you go buy mulch. You can get one yard in it, or Benny's uh, front-end loader. Think of it that way. That's God's shovel. It's just that he says, you've got to get that other junk out of your life because nowhere to put it. So you get that out, then he... Yeah, because it's called replacement. Now, the Lord wants to be our shepherd. I, I just want to end with this last illustration. It's really from Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Five words. And there was... A, this is an old story. It's found coming from England. And there were these mountain uh, climbers. And they, they happened to come across a young... Uh, young guy out there and he was watching some sheep and these young men that were doing the mountain climbing actually lower than the, the guy said you know let me let me show you something young man young shepherd uh, that will help you remi- remember psalms 23 and they said it this way think of the five fingers on your left hand one of the men told the boy each finger stands for a word you can meditate on psalms 23 one by grasping each finger one at a time with your right hand Showing him how to do it, the man gripped his thumb and said, that stands for the. That's an emphatic beginning. Next to your index finger stands for the word Lord. Grasping his index finger, the man told the boy to ponder the goodness and grace of the Lord Jesus who loved him. Touching his longest finger, the man said, this finger stands for is. The Lord is alive and here with you right now in the present tense. Now, now think about this. This is a young man who spends probably his nights out with the sheep in the, in the pastures. And he said, you know, the Lord's always going to be with you. The fourth finger stands for the fourth word in the verse, my. A wedding ring in the, on the fourth finger, after all, reminds us of the personal and exclusive relationship we have with the one we love. And the little finger, the pinky, stands for shepherd. When you come to the end of your hand or the end of any task, even to the end of your life, you find the shepherd still there abiding with you always. The boy who seldom encountered travelers in the Welsh highlands enjoyed the conversation very much, drank in every word. The following year, the men returned on another hiking trip. This time they stopped at a small warefaring house for a cup of tea. On the table was a picture of the very boy they had met a year before. He asked about him, and the woman put down the cup, composed herself, and said this, Yes, that was my son. He died last winter in a storm. He fell down a cliff and lay there for a long, long time. Only later did we actually find him. In the ensuing stillness, she added, There was something strange about it, though, which we never have been able to understand. When we found his body, his right hand was grasping his fourth finger on his left hand. They went on to explain the story. The Lord is my shepherd. And in the time of his trial, that young boy apparently remembered that. He is my. See, it's one thing to say the Lord is shepherd. The Lord is the shepherd. Okay, that's fine. But it's a whole different thing to say the Lord is my shepherd. And you can depend on the Lord, right? We can depend on Jesus Christ. So as we go before the Lord, just remember 
if you have received him as your Lord and Savior, that he is your shepherd. And if you never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can repent, excuse me, repent of your sins and turn to him right now. You, don't have, you do not have to come to me. You do not have to go to an elder. You can repent of your sins right at this very moment and receive what he has done for you and, and, and dying for your sins on the cross. And he will grant you forgiveness right where you are, right at this very moment. And you can actually partake of the Lord's table in a worthy manner at that point on. So let's go before the Lord. Confess your sins. If there's anything that he has, he has asked you or is, is you know, knocking on your heart to get right with him, make sure your heart is right because, again, we want to we partake in a worthy manner. Let's bow our heads and ushers come forward.